Okay, let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. This will be our, our last um, sermon on all the spirit-filled relationships as outflowing of that 5 verse 18, and then from next week, Lord willing, starting with spiritual warfare. Um, and we are also going to camp out on the spiritual warfare section, the armor of God, because uh, we do need to really come to grips with what, what spiritual warfare is, how to do this rightly and wrongly, um, that you can know not to do it the wrong way, do it the right way, and also just grow together in the word of the Lord, what the Bible says and teaches about these things. But today we are focusing and ending on chapter 6, verse 5, the last section on the bond servants or the slave and uh, a slave's relationship to his master. So let's read together the text. Um, this is Ephesians 6 from verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves and thank you for your precious word. We ask that you would teach us. Lord, I pray that we would walk away here and know these things, be filled with the promises of your word and that that might fuel us and give us the strength we need to work as for you and not for man. Oh Lord, please be merciful to us and strengthen our faith, Lord. And may we work in such a way that your beautiful name will be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, we are considering our relationship with Christ, but specifically how that relationship should influence your Mondays, your Tuesdays, your Wednesdays. Remember, this entire chapters, these chapters 4, 5, 6, the practical section of Ephesians can be all under the big banner of chapter 4, verse 1. So just quickly glance back at that again. So 4, verse 1 is the big banner of this, all three chapters. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What that simply means is that our lives must be worthy of the blessings and the calling that God has given us. So if you could take chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, all of those blessings, the blessing of adoption, the blessing of election, the blessing of forgiveness and inheritance that will never fade, that we have been saved by grace through faith alone, apart from works of the law, that we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. If you can take all of those blessings and you put that on one side of the scale, then your life should balance the scales. Your life should be worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You should live in such a way that when people look at the way you talk, the way you um, live your life and act, that that should show something of the beauty, the worth, and the value of the great God we are serving. We want others to look at us and glorify God. That's the idea of chapters 4, 5, and 6. But more specifically, when you turn to 5.18, one of the ways we walk worthy is to be filled with the Spirit. Look at 5.18 again. 
<clears throat> it says, do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the rest of 19, 20, 21 shows the results of being filled with the Spirit. At the very end in verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husband. So then he moves into three relationships and show that this is what a spirit-filled life looks like. Wives respecting and submitting under their husbands. Husbands sacrificially loving and leading their wives. Children obeying their parents and honoring their parents. Parents disciplining and bringing their children up. And this is the last the third set of relationship of bondservants, slaves, and masters, that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will start working as for the Lord and not for man. So the irony of a spirit-filled life is this, that it's a very ordinary life lived with supernatural power. Right? A spirit-filled man and woman lives a very ordinary life full of supernatural power. And... So one of the greatest evidence of being under the control of the Spirit is your relationship to authority. How do you treat authority over your life? Do you submit? Do you respect? Do you obey? Right? And if you are in authority, if you're spiritual, is, are you gracious? Are you sacrificial? Are you thinking of those under your authority? So we saw last week, um, this is a part two of working as Christ's slaves. Last week we looked at how this text shows what, we need to, what needs to be in our hearts. For example, we should have weighty respect for our employers or those in above, above us. We should have a single-mindedness in our work. We should be joyful in our work, thankful for our work. And we should ultimately work as for the Lord. That's all in our hearts. And that will flow out into the hands in one simple thing, by working hard. You won't be lazy. You won't be working by way of eye service, just working when people look at you. But you'll work all the time because you fear God. But that's not all. The third thing that we're going to look at is the mind. God also gives us truths or promises that you need to know for you to be able to work as for the Lord. And we see that in the very first word of verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. It says, knowing. Okay, we can just stop there. God wants you to know these things. He wants you, this is supposed to be the petrol in the tank when you feel like, I don't want to do my job anymore. I don't want to study for another hour. I don't want to coach anybody anymore. I don't want to do my work anymore, right? So th these things, God wants us to be encouraged by these things, to know them, and that should fuel us. And there's three things you need to know, um, at least. There might be more, but as I've summarized it, three things you need to know to be able to, be, to feel your work. And the first thing is this. Know your identity in Christ. Know your identity in Christ. Look at verse 6 again. We should work not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Remember, that's the same word he uses in verse 5 when he says, bondservants, obey your earthly masters. Then he says to them in verse 6, you are what? The bondservants of Christ. You are slaves of men. You are actually a slave of Christ. So that's the first thing you need to know about yourself when you do your work. You don't belong ultimately to any human being, to any institution. Ultimately, you belong to your heavenly master, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We see that beautifully in the contrast in verse 5 and verse 9. So verse 5, he says, obey your earthly masters. So when you hear that, okay, so do I have another master? Yes, look at verse 9. Masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven. Okay, so we have earthly masters and we have an ultimate heavenly master. Now, think of how incredibly freeing this is if you embrace your identity in Christ. You and I tend to find our meaning, our value, our importance in the work we do. Is that not true? We feel valuable depending on what we do or how much we earn. So we would say, I am a doctor. I am a physiotherapist. I am a housewife, etc., etc. And the higher up the ladder you are in that I am, you feel more important. Now, I just want to say, there's nothing wrong with saying that. That's just reality. That is, my, that is part of who you are. But the problem is when you find your ultimate identity in what you do, your ultimate identity in your work, in your title, that's the main problem. Because what happens when you lose your job? Have you suddenly lost your value? Suddenly lost your identity? Your meaning in life? Or let's say you've switched jobs and you've perhaps downgraded your job. You you went from a higher position to a lower position. Suddenly, are you now no longer important? According to this text, no. Because that's not your identity. Your identity isn't ultimately in what you do or what what job you have, but in your relationship with Christ. Remember to... Paul is speaking here to slaves. Of all people that might feel the following, my life is useless. What can I do? I'm probably, I have to do the chores, I have to clean the dishes, I have to do this for my master. The other people are free to do whatever they want. I am bound to this master. My life is worth nothing. Paul says, no, 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 remember your identity. Slaves, you are a slave of Christ. So listen to me. This is so freeing, beloved. It's so freeing. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what you do, but whom you are serving, to whom you belong. That is where our worth is found. That's the first thing you need to know. Know your identity in Christ. That never changes. And second thing you need to know is that when we work like this, when you um, have fear and trembling, do the will of God from, or when you work as not by eye service and all these things, you are doing the will of God. That's the second encouragement or fuel in the tank. When we work as for the Lord, not for man, we are doing the will of God. Look at verse 6 again. Such a, don't miss this phrase. It says, we, sh- we work or we serve not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That's extremely encouraging for slaves to hear. When you obey your earthly masters in these ways, you are right in the middle of the will of God for your life. How many people want to know what is God's will for my life? Right? And what we mean when we say that is we always ask We want to know very specific things we need to do, right? The secret will of God. Whom should I marry? Where should I live? What job should I do? And we want all of these specific answers on the will of God for our lives. 
Now, it's always good to pray about those things. I'm not saying don't pray to ask God for guidance and direction for these things. They are big things and they are weighty things. But when we read the Bible, how does the Bible encourage Christians to think about the will of God? Not to seek, find the secret will of God that's very specific about your future, but to just wherever you are in whatever you do, to just do that for the Lord and to work heartily for him and then you are doing the will of God. Scripture is much more emphasizing our holiness than figuring out very precise details of where and how, where and how and when, right? Let me give you a few texts just to give you an example. Not just this text. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. This is the will of God. All of us should be now attentive. Okay, what is the will of God? Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. You see, so it's actually very ironic when people want to know the will of God for whom to marry and they watch pornography in, in secret. They want God's will for that specific thing, but they're not doing God's will in private. So God's will for you is purity. That's his will. Be pure. Okay, next one, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in how many circumstances? All circumstances. Guess what? That is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <laughs> so I love this, right? What's God's will for you? Be happy, pray always, and give thanks in everything. There you go. Now you have some work to do the week, right? Or, or let me just put it in another way. If you just read the second halves of all the epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, just read the second half. Like we love the first halves. Read the second halves and you will know the will of God for your life. You will know that. Study those sections. Know what the commands of God are for your life. And this is like, this is the verse you can remember. Deuteronomy, it's easy to remember. 29 verse 29. Okay, so just repeat the, the phrase. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. What your future is belongs in the hands of God. That's secret. God knows the future. We don't. But listen, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so now let's bring it back to the text. What is God's will for you in your job? What is his will for you there? To obey your master, work hard, have a single heart towards your boss and towards your work, work with joy. That's the will of God for your life. And what, again, what an encouragement for, for Christians. Again, so it links with the first one. You don't find your identity in your work, but in Christ. If you just, you know, if you just put labels on products for the whole day, or like one job I had once was just removing staples, and you're so bored out of your skull, and you're like, I'm wasting my life. My life is nothing worth nothing. I can just throw it away. But if I do that as for the Lord, I'm pleasing him. It's Brother Lawrence, and please correct me off of the service if, I'm, if I've misquoted this guy, but this guy was like in the kitchen working, doing the dishes, and he said this, like he never feels closer to God than when he's washing the dishes or when he's cooking the meals or when he's working in the kitchen. Now, that's the kind of attitude we should have as believers is when we are just working hard, whether it is wiping diapers, you, you remember last week, we have a lot of diapers in our home, so that's just fresh in my mind, or you are 
treating a patient, coaching someone, working at home, whatever it is, when you do that wholeheartedly, you can feel the smile of God on your life because you are doing his will. So learn to work. Learn to not crave the praise of men with your work. Give that, give that up. Learn to work for the smile of God in your work, which leads to the third point, and this is the last one, but we are going to spend mo- most of our time here, is know the third thing, that you will be rewarded for every good work you do. So look at verse 8. This, this verse is, is, is amazing. It says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Whatever good work you do, you will receive that back from the Lord. You will, your reward is with him. So we're going to look at four words under this one to, to look at it closer. The first word we want to look at is whatever. Okay? Look, look carefully at verse 8 again. It says, knowing that whatever good anyone does. That's astounding. Every single good work you have ever done will be rewarded by God. Everyone. The text emphasizes, it says, whatever good work, this he will receive back individually. Did not Jesus say in Matthew 10, verse 42, it says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he's my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. A cup of cold water. Like we might think, oh, this is so insignificant. God sees that. Every prayer you pray in private, God sees. Every time you open your Bible to read and to know God, God sees. Every, remember, even the, everything you give to God, he sees. Even if it's two copper coins, that Jesus said is more if that's everything you have. God sees that and he will reward you for that. Every time you've hosted someone with sacrificial love, every time you've encouraged someone, every time you've carried another Christian's burden and listened to them and gave them advice, every time you've prayed for a sick person, every single good work you've done, God sees, God takes note, and he can never forget and he will reward you. How encouraging is that? Because God is omniscient. He cannot forget. Matthew 6, 6. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will what? Will reward you. That's such a motivation. So here's something you and I need to realize, that this means there will be varying degrees of rewards in heaven, depending on how much good works you have done. Some believers will receive more rewards and other believers will receive lesser rewards. Depends on the quality and the quantity of your work. Now, we're going to look at exactly what those rewards will be a little bit later. But just the point I want to make here is that we will be rewarded based on our faithfulness. Again, Paul is speaking here to slaves. He's saying, whatever good work you do, you'll be rewarded. So it's very possible that some of you here that might never have preached, never have gone in missions, and never have done those things, would receive much, much more rewards than the pastor that have preached the Bible every Sunday because you've just done your work very faithfully and the pastor might have been negligent with the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given him. 
Remember the parable of the talents, right? To the five talents, there was more responsibility, more expected. And when he made five, he said, well done. But for those who had two talents, if they just made two more, they received the same commendation. Well done. So God is going to expect more from a John MacArthur who is a multi-generational pastor, right? I think it's like five generations pastors from his family. He's going to expect more from him than from someone that was born to a drug-addicted mother and that person can barely come to church. It's the hardest thing for that person just to come to church. But God's going to reward you based on your opportunities, abilities, knowledge, light you had. And he's going to reward you appropriately. So that's such an encouragement. So the point here is, I want to ask you, is what is your giftings, your abilities, your opportunities? What has God blessed you with? What can you multiply for the kingdom of God? Perhaps some of you, God has blessed with finances or managing your finances or whatever. Then be faithful in supporting the work of the church, supporting missionaries, struggling believers. Be hospitable with what you have. Right? Perhaps bless you if God has given you this gift, the gift of administration. Oh, we need help. Okay. But are you using your gift to the fullest? Or perhaps you are so limited by your circumstances, your trials, that it's so difficult for you just to come to church. But if you are faithful with that, do that. Don't neglect that. Whatever good work you do, God will, you will receive back. And here's the second word we want to look at. is the word anyone. Whatever, look at the verse again, knowing that whatever good anyone does. So God doesn't look at your social status in society to determine how much he's going to reward you. Look at the end of verse 8 again. It says whether he is a bondservant or is free. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or a free man. God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter if you're a housewife or the president. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you are the cleaner or the doctor. God will reward you based on the work you've done for him. Now look at, at the end of verse 9. This is like an implied warning for the masters in verse 9 because it says masters do the same to them stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him bosses those in authority shouldn't think but i'm the boss so i'm going to get away with this or god's going to give me a lighter judgment just because i am in on the top it's scary because that is how we think we think that because I have more privileges, God's going to give me more grace or more mercy. That's not, that's not biblical. There is no partiality with God. God doesn't look at your external status, your appearances. He looks at your heart. You know, that's famous, or you might have heard this before, rules for thee, but not rules for me. Right? So that's how some people think. Just because I am on top, I, I'm exempt. So here's a double application of this point, the anyone. First, there's an encouragement, and then secondly, there's a warning. So the encouragement is this. doesn't matter how much money you make. doesn't matter how important people think you are. doesn't matter what kind of work you end up doing. doesn't matter if anyone ever praises you because of what you've done. God treats you exactly the same like he treats the one on the top or the one with more opportunities. Exactly the same. No partiality. 
It's an encouragement if you feel useless and stuck. That you, that nobody sees. But this says anyone, anyone. Doesn't matter who you are. But here's the warning. That's the encouragement. The warning is this, that God will not exempt you from judgment just because you have more, more authority or more position. Let me say it like this. There will be many, many pastors one day in hell who thought that they are going to heaven because they are a pastor. Or missionaries who will go to hell because they thought that because they were a missionary, because I am this person, surely I must be saved. Surely I must go to heaven. We studied this in our hermeneutics, but this is what Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, the religious people, right? Lord, Lord is an emphasis of religiosity. It will enter the kingdom of him, but the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. So you can almost put all of what they're going to say now as, was I not important? Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what these people were doing is they were rattling off everything that impressed people. Lord, but we did all these mighty things externally. People saw, people clapped hands, people were amazed by what we've done. But what does God say? It's like, you haven't done the will of God. You are workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. What is the will of the Father? Right? It says, if you do not forgive though, if you do not forgive others, neither will the Father forgive you. Have you forgiven your mother and your father what they have done against you? Or have you clung to that? What's the will of the Father? If your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, cut off your hand. So have you done that? Have you done the will of the Father? Did you love your enemies and prayed for those who persecute you? That was my will. That was the will of the Father. You see, those were the things that were required of you, and those were the things that impressed God, impresses God, because he sees our hearts. He sees the things we do in secret. So, beloved, count on this. God has saved nobody because they were religious. God saved nobody because they were someone special in the church. That's not the basis. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's our only hope, is the righteousness of Christ lived out in our place, died on on the cross for us. It's to... Become, as what Jesus said, to become poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who know, Lord, I have nothing to give except my sin, my poverty. And God says, you, for you, the kingdom is the kingdom because you will have me. And that's the warning. Here's the third word we need to look at is good. The word good. In verse 8, knowing whatever good anyone does. Now, So we will be rewarded for every good work, but it implies that they are good works in the beginning. The Bible says that there's going to be a lot of good works that's not going to be rewarded. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 2. So Matthew is just in our, our section here, right? It says, thus, when you give to the needy, give to the needy, that's a good deed, right? You would agree, giving to someone? But says, he says, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
So if we do good works, but not as to the Lord, but as to man, we'll not be rewarded for that because that's by definition not a good work in the, in the first place. We have been doing those works for our glory, our kingdom. So basically that, right, is do you have the essential attitude that whatever you do, you have the beginning of the Lord's prayer in your heart. Lord, your name be honored. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That should be the attitude of the believer. Now, none of us have that perfectly down. All of us have a little bit of selfishness, a little bit of sin. So even in our best deeds, there's enough sin to take us to hell. That's just the reality. Until Jesus comes, we're going to struggle with our selfish, sinful hearts. But what is the direction of your heart? Do you long to be set free from this corrupt heart? And they say, Lord, please, I long to worship you and to obey you in a way that's worthy of you. That's what we need to do. And here's the last word we're going to look at together is the word receive. So it says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Now, this has been a very difficult part to understand is what exactly are these rewards going to look like? What are these things going to be? On the one hand, we have these texts that says the Lord himself is our reward, is our treasure. Romans 5 verse 3, at the end it says we rejoice in what? In hope of the glory of God. What's going to be our reward? What are we longing for? The glory of God. When we see his glory, we behold his beauty. That is the reward. That is, and look at another verse, Psalm 73 verse 25. It says, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is my portion. God is my inheritance. Right? Because what is heaven going to be about? To know God. John 17 verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have seen. So, there's one sense where we're all going to receive the same reward. We all, whether you've died on your deathbed and you repented and trusted in Christ, or you've served the Lord for 40 years, we are going to receive the same reward in this sense that we will all have the Lord. We'll all have Him. He will be our supreme joy. Yet, with that said, there's other groups of texts that says that everyone will be receiving like this one we just read, right? Everyone will be receiving individual rewards based on their good works. And now which one is it? Is it the Lord or is it all these other good gifts or good rewards? And the Bible teaches that some will receive more, some will receive less. Some believers will be greater, other believers will be lesser. Listen to another few texts now, Matthew 5 verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great. So we have these groups, there's going to be some groups in church that's going to be greater and lesser, depending on your obedience. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 9, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The implication is the more you lay up treasures in heaven, well, the more treasures there will be in heaven for you, Okay. The investment that can never go bad is laying up treasures in heaven, giving your money away in a wise way. <laughs> Think of your family. Right, the parable of the talents. 
Listen to this, Luke 19, verse 16. The first came and said, Lord, your miner has made 10 miners more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Hmm, okay, might just be the parable, or it might be pointing to the actual rewards in heaven. And I think it does both, right? That in heaven, there will be some believers who will have more responsibility than others, depending on your faithfulness. Some believers will have more work responsibility in heaven. Remember, heaven is not going to be on clouds playing harps, just a reminder. There's going to be a resurrection from the dead. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to be on a glorified universe without sin, without suffering, without ESCOM. Right? All of us can say amen or ouch, one of those two. Those are the, your options. But here's the point. Of all of those texts, so on the one hand we have the Lord himself is our reward, and the other half we have the more you do, the more reward you have. The one is static, the one is dynamic. The one is a standstill, and the other one is growing, depending on you. Now, how do we reconcile those two? Now, here's my answer. Now, I might be wrong, but I hope you can think about it. Here's my answer. All, okay, so I'm going to use this battery that's working on battery. <laughs> At least it's not the most important point of the sermon, right? That all of you want to hear. But um, so the speaker is maybe going to go a little bit wonky, then I'll just switch it off. But I'm going to try and ride on the battery life. Okay. So here's my answer. That I'm going to try and reconcile these two is all will be fully and completely happy with the glory of the Lord. But those who walked closer with him and were more obedient to him will have a greater capacity to enjoy him, a greater ability to enjoy him than others. Now, here's a illustration. Imagine a great orchestra. Okay, here comes the orchestra illustration. In the crowd, there are two people listening to the orchestra. And imagine this is one of the most glorious, most beautiful orchestras you've ever heard, right? Or ever, ever invented, ever made. But in the, in the audience, there's two people. The one is a music director who studies music, drinks music, loves music, right? Has great appreciation for the different nuances of music. And the other one is a child who, who is tone deaf, okay? can't distinguish two notes from one another, but they're both in the audience. Both are full of joy, full of awe about what they are experiencing. Both are wrapped up, caught up in the orchestra, but the one enjoys it more than the other one. The one has a greater capacity to enjoy because of his prior knowledge, his prior experience. So they, that, the, the music director has greater capacity. I think that's how it's going to be in heaven, right? The person that died just before he came to Christ, and let's say just on his deathbed, he, he repented, he trusted in Christ, he goes to heaven, he's going to have fullness of joy, but he's going to have less joy than the believer that walked with him for 40 years on earth walked with him, struggled with him, suffered with him, trusted him despite everything against that person and the person just saw God's faithfulness over and over again, that person's going to have a greater capacity to enjoy heaven and will have more rewards. Jonathan Edwards gave a beautiful illustration, another illustration, just to make it clear. He, he used the illustration of a vessel or a container. Imagine both containers are thrown into the sea. The one is a massive, a big container and the other one is a smaller container. Both are full, but the one is more full than the other, right? So it sounds like a logical contradiction. It's not like we are all equal, but some are more equal than others. Okay, it's not that, <laughs> okay? 
But it's we are both full, but some are more full than others, depending on their capacity. Okay? In some in that way, believers, some believers will be all believers will be perfectly happy, but some believers will be more happy than others. All believers will be equally, or not equally, fully holy, but some will be more holy, more beautiful, more glorious than others, depending on their work. And But here's the amazing thing about heaven, and I want to close with this, because you might be tempted to think, but if some is going to be greater than I am, and like, isn't there going to be things like jealousy and envy? Okay, you forgot one important thing about heaven. What's that? There's going to be no sin. So think of this. There's going to be zero jealousy, zero envy of those who are rewarded more than you. You instead are going to have such a perfect heart of holiness. You are going to rejoice with another brother or sister's more rewards and that's going to add to your joy. So their reward is going to be indirectly a reward for you as well, although you are not rewarded as much as that person. Did you see? So those who are least are not going to be jealous and get this. Those who are greater are going to have such perfect holiness and humility. They're going to count those under them as more significant than themselves. They're going to count those under their authority as more worthy of respect because that's just how Christ is. You see how beautiful it's just going to be a perfect society. It's, it is hard to imagine because we're not there yet. We're going, we're coming, or the Lord's coming and we're going. But in that place, it's going to become the perfect fulfillment of 1 Corinthians 12, 26, when this says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's going to be the perfect fulfillment in heaven. When one is honored, all will be rejoicing in that brother or sister's rewards. And here's the thing, and I want to encourage us with this, is to strive for that kind of a heart now on earth in church. So if someone is just better than you in their gifts, right? Someone outshines you in their gifts, rejoice in that. Learn to find joy in other people's success. And if you are gifted or you on top, if you have authority, learn to stoop down in humility and count those under you as more important than yourself and serve them, wash their feet, lay down their, your life because that's exactly how Jesus is. That's exactly what he does for us. So dear church, this is the motive. This should be in your mind when you are working from a Monday to a Friday. We have one eye on our work and we have another eye on our heavenly master that will return. We serve him. We know he's coming back. We know he's going to judge the living and the dead. We know that he will reward us for everything we do. So here's my encouragement. Seek to maximize your joy in heaven by being godly now, by being self-controlled now. Look forward for that day to be rewarded by him, to hear those blessed words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your word, Lord, that really does encourage us, strengthens us. Father, we ask that you would help us to know these things deeply, not just on the matter of just a passing through of the mind, a momentary reflection, 
O oh Lord, but that it would truly transform our hearts, transform our attitude towards our work and our, our employers, knowing that our identity is wrapped up in belonging to you. We are your slaves. We have been bought with a price. Lord, and also that knowing that we will be rewarded for every good work you, we have done on earth, the things we do in secret and nobody sees, Lord, when we do that with the right motive, you see and you will reward us. Lord, may we long for that day when we see you, Lord, when, we, when you return. Help us, Father, for those, especially those who might feel discouraged with their work and maybe trapped or maybe feel meaningless in what they are doing, Lord, that they would remember these verses, study them, memorize them, meditate on them and apply them for your name's sake, Lord. And Lord, and as we looked at heaven briefly and looked at the rewards, Lord Jesus, we just want to confess together corporately as your church, Lord, come back soon. Lord, we really, really miss you, really long for you. We want you to come back. So Lord, please come back and help us to reach out to those who are not saved, to warn them, to share the gospel, that they too might share in the glory of the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth that's waiting for us. We thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.